when you are the smartest person in the room, no one can doubt you because you are the most prepared. You are the best investor in the room. So what could they possibly say to anyone else? Hello, friends. Welcome to Statement Mondays, where we explore how different women harness their identities at work. I'm your host, Natalie Munster. And if you need a reason to be bold today, here it is. Today is Statement Monday. Getting dressed up for work is Fisher Yan's way of preparing for battle. And for her, high heels are actually part of her armor. She's a marketing manager and consultant with experience at Uber and GGV Capital, and also an amazing chef. We were actually just cleaning up from lunch when we recorded this interview. And in this episode, she shares about her relationship with confidence and clothing. So keep listening to hear about the arsenal she's built. Stick around after the episode to hear some of my thoughts on what she talks about. I've been working for six years. Four of those years have been in venture capital at GGV. And then before that, I worked at Uber. And then before I was working at an ad agency in New York. So that's like my brief career background. Mm -hmm. And then in my most recent job, I work in a small venture capital fund that invests in enterprise companies. And I would say that the enterprise space is male-dominated more so than other aspects of venture capital, where Mm -hmm. like in a lot of VC firms, you'll meet women who are investors. But in a lot of these enterprise leadership roles, where it's like infrastructure and cloud architecture and maybe like healthcare technologies that the leadership at the top is mostly male. Through my career, initially starting at the ad agency, I was working in a space that was predominantly female. Mm -hmm. Um, Something about advertising and media buying skewed more young and female. But through my career and over the course of these six years, I've gone into progressively more male spaces. And that crossed my mind as I accepted my current job, whether or not I would feel comfortable in a predominantly male space. And so at Uber as well is predominantly male, not just in mm. your new... No, I was at my team at Uber. I was working in SF operations. So it was a mix of marketing as well as business strategy. And so it was actually very evenly balanced. And then when I worked at GGV Capital, the team that I worked on was marketing and talent, and it was all under the umbrella of portfolio services. That team was mostly women. And then the partners in our firm, we were actually one of the few venture capital firms that had a female partner. Mm -hmm. So we had four or five male partners and one female partner with a total of six. Yeah. But I would say that the leadership there was very thoughtful about their approach to how they wanted to incorporate a gender balance in their programming. So we would always start with a list of female speakers for any conference that we were doing. Mm. And we would also try to be very conscious of the guest list of who we were inviting to make sure that we were being thoughtful about extending the invitation. So then what are you known for and how did that identity come about? Outside of the office... And based on how I've been approached through my LinkedIn and my personal brand, that the thing that I'm really known for is US-China marketing and global capital and global startups, but with a special focus in US and China. And I think the reason why my career has kind of shifted in that direction and I've been successful in that space is because I grew up as a Chinese immigrant being Mm cross-cultural, where it was Chinese culture inside the house and American culture outside. And so I lived my entire life immersed in this back and forth between what's going on in China, what are my relatives, my aunts and uncles, my grandparents, what are they experiencing that's different in like traveling to China frequently? That development from 2008, where the growth really shot up exponentially and was able to turn that into a career move by working at a US-China venture fund. Mm -hmm. 
But what I would say that I'm known for inside of the office is that I really love to dress up for work. And when working in Silicon Valley and working in venture capital, there are actually not that many people who wear heels to work because Mm -hmm. it's not traditional finance. It's not Wall Street. But all the same, I love my dresses from Theory. I collect vintage office dresses. So I have like a (laughs) 90s Ralph Lauren stretch cotton plaid dress that I absolutely love. I don't wear shoes lower than three inches. So it's anywhere between like three to like four and a half inch heels that I'm like wearing to work. But the other thing is I have a very client-facing job. So Mm -hmm. I am hosting events. I want to project the image that I am coming from the financial side And that despite the fact that I'm often the youngest person in the room, excluding the entrepreneur, Mm -hmm. that I want to be taken seriously as a working professional. Mm -hmm. And I think that for me, costumes are so much a part of dressing the part, feeling convinced in your role, convincing others in your role. And so my choice to dress in a feminine but professional and somewhat strict way with like blazers and being really thoughtful about my clothing choices is a signaling mechanism that I want to signal that I am part of the professional financial side of the business. Mm -hmm. So you love to dress up nicely in order to signal something to the people that you are around, you described. Do you do it also for yourself? I don't think that most people who see the things that I'm wearing actually know the stories Mm -hmm. behind the pieces that I've collected. So one thing is I really like to shop at thrift stores whenever I travel, especially internationally. So the pieces that I've collected, they all have stories around where I was in that time in my life when I picked up that piece of clothing or the the lore of like where I got it from. Mm -hmm. And so I am generally not very sentimental, but I know the stories behind each piece of clothing that I've accumulated. And so that I think I do for me. And also to a certain extent, not only is a signaling mechanism, but it's also armor for myself of knowing that I have dressed for battle and the battle wow. that I'm presenting myself as a professional person coming from the venture capital side. In fact, I had this really great like fashion role model who was the woman who sat across from me at my job at GGV. And she had the most incredible outfits that were never overstated. They were a set of neutral tone colors, but the lines were super clean. She always looked so sophisticated. Mm. She was exceptionally well-dressed. She was always on top of her game. She did all of her homework. She was so hardworking, but she always came in looking incredible. And so it was just this like air of, I am put together and I'm on top of every aspect of my life. And I love that about her. And I, yeah. I, I even made a Pinterest board dedicated <laughs> to clothes that she would wear yeah. so that I could find similar stuff when I was out shopping to kind of mimic this very professional, very feminine, but like very put together, unquestionable style that she had. And I'm curious if you have any comments with regard to the, this fashion role model or to yourself, whether dressing well has been able to make you realize kind of your full potential as well or someone else's full potential. Yeah, I would say that my personal philosophy on dressing well is that it's a form of etiquette. And so it is a sign that like I've taken the utmost care in my hygiene and the thoughtfulness of my presentation to present myself in a certain way. And I do think that perception is a real thing and personal brand is a real thing. Mm-hmm. And whether or not people want to admit it or give that credit, people have a first impression of you and it includes the image that they see. And so I can only speak for myself. I think that the way that I show up to a meeting when I feel really put together also heightens my sense of confidence. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't necessarily say that it has bearings on my self-worth, 
but I think that I just come off a lot stronger and a lot more competent when I feel like I'm dressed apart. Yeah, definitely. And then the part on your multicultural Chinese American insights, is that something that you've discovered that is your almost superpower, something that that you can bring that no one else can bring? Was there a very conscious process of discovering that or has it been just gradually over the past six years, you've you've come to realize that that's something that you're strong in? So I think earlier in my career, I felt this sense of duty and responsibility to my parents. And I wonder if this is something that's more common in immigrant children, but I know that my parents sacrificed a lot to bring me to the U.S. Yeah. And I have always felt indebted to their sacrifice and wanted to be able to pay that forward. And so as a result, I had always wanted to work in something that was related to U.S.-China business, especially because I have the language advantage. Yeah. And so when the opportunity to work at Uber initially presented itself, I thought maybe that in the future I would work on Uber's China business. But then Uber sold its China business to Didi. And so at that time, I switched over to work at GGV, which Mm -hmm. was an investor in Didi, and was able to have a lot more exposure to U.S.-China business. And I was able to use my culture and language expertise to help the U.S. team navigate how to cooperate better with the the China investment team and the China marketing team and work with our Chinese startups. So I'd say the main reason that I got into U.S.-China business was mostly out of a feeling of like obligation and wanting to give back. But then over time, as I was able to contribute in that way, I felt like I had kind of like addressed that one itch and curiosity in like how I wanted my career to go, yeah. which is why I was presented with the opportunity to work with a U.S.-Japan fund. Mm-hmm. I thought, well, I think it'd be really cool to add another country to my arsenal and expand my horizons and working with a smaller venture fund and just kind of see what else is out there. Definitely. And follow up to that, is that something that other people were aware of or was it just something that drove you internally? that you wanted to kind of give back? For certain members of our team, it was something that like also drove them as well. Okay. So I think that there was a partner at our fund that was really trying to raise the visibility of Chinese and Taiwanese Americans or just Chinese and Taiwanese immigrants on a global scale mm-hmm. and wanted to single-handedly improve the perception of China on a global scale. Yeah. And so... He evangelized about China's growth and about how hard they worked. That was his entire platform and brand. And so everyone who was working with him was kind of on board with the philosophy of people have really laughed at China for a long time. They have thought about China being weak or being cheap. And we all believed in the ethos around we want people to understand that China is incredibly capable Mm -hmm. and that people have really been underestimating this entire country and its people. And so that was definitely a driving factor in why we all worked so hard, because I would say that a lot of us were working to the point of martyrdom in terms of like sacrificing our time and our health and our personal relationships in order to make these initiatives successful. And I think that to really be able to push beyond your own well-being, it really takes a calling that's higher than yourself to be able to work at that level, because otherwise you wouldn't do self-sacrificing things. All right, let's pause here just for a second. Fisher has been talking about how she wears heels to work to project an image of strict professionalism. And I love that she actually has a fashion role model. I feel like I should find one of my own now, too. She draws on pieces of her childhood growing up in an immigrant family, and that's how she's found her value in the venture world. And there's a lot that I want to discuss from this interview, including I want to come back to this last comment about self-sacrifice. 
but we'll do that after we hear the rest of it. So next, Fisher has a few more examples about why doing your homework is so important, including how she wrote her own job description and how she made her interviewer feel like he was dining at a three Michelin star restaurant. Okay, let's touch a little bit on bringing yourself to work and what that means to you. One of the things that I learned in my time doing that role in venture capital was this idea around finding your personal monopoly. And so what is the one thing that the experiences in your life have uniquely prepared you for? And I think that kind of ties into this idea of bringing your full self to work. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't necessarily recommend the idea of bringing your full self. For example, I don't want anyone to ever doubt that I got where I am in my career based on any personal connections I had, Mm -hmm. which is why I don't think it's appropriate to bring your full, full self. But I think that there are other aspects where you can think about how things that have happened in your childhood or things that you're really passionate about in high school before you started your official career can be useful in your present day work experience. I think that that is all fair game. I know you don't believe in fully bringing yourself to work, but to what extent would you say that you do so? So I think about it in a couple of different ways, especially as it pertains to my career. First and foremost, for me, it's professionalism first. And so I always present with a more conservative impression. Mm -hmm. And then if I get a feel for what is the level of vulnerability that I can share with this person in front of me? Or mm. what can I do to build this relationship in a way that makes the relationship one where they have a positive experience with me and one where we're starting to build trust so that eventually, if I need to ask them for something, that we can get there. Another really important part that I learned from the female partner at GGV mm-hmm. was to always do your homework. And the way that she was talking about it was in the context of like, Do you struggle as a female investor where people don't take you seriously when they meet you? And she's like, when you are the smartest person in the room, no one can doubt you because you are the most prepared. You are the best investor in the room. So what could they possibly say to anyone else if you are the like single-handed best candidate because you've done all of the work more than everyone else has. And so I have a couple examples of different levels of professionalism. So I had met with this one woman who was an HBS grad who had started her own business. She was very successful and she was a guest on a podcast that I had also been on, but she had gone a couple episodes before me and she invited me over to her home. And I thought, wow, this is like surprisingly intimate. And when I had been doing my research on her, I found on her LinkedIn that she had made a post about her first experience at Burning Man because she had gone for the first time in 2019. Mm-hmm. And so I thought this is going to be a great point to touch on because based on how the article was written, I could tell she had a really transformative experience. And so I think that's going to be able to like really open up our conversation. So we started out having conversation about whether or not I want to go to business school. And that eventually evolved into talking about the things that make us feel alive, feel really passionate. And then I mentioned Burning Man and immediately her demeanor shifted where went from a networking conversation between like a business school alumni and a prospective student, which I think can be pretty austere to like two pals talking about their favorite things about being on the playa together. And so because I did my homework, I was able to make that connection on like a different level. I don't think that everyone's perception of Burning Man is always the most professional. And I would hate for someone to discount me based on something that I do in my personal time, which is why I don't always bring it up. 
But the times where I have information about someone's interests or I have personal knowledge that they've been before, then I'm more willing to talk about this thing because it is pretty niche that all of a sudden they really open up. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. And so otherwise, you're often more guarded if you're not positive how something will land. Is that a fair statement? Right. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that makes sense. Can you tell me about a memorable moment that you felt invincible at work and just why and circumstances and the outcome of that? Yeah, I'll give you two examples. One of them was, again, on the topic of having done my homework, I figured out that the person who was going to hire me for a role I was really interested in was very, very detail-oriented and had a very niche preference for very nice things. And so as I was going through my interview process, he had asked me to write my own job description. And I think that it can be a really novel experience for a lot of people who are early in their careers trying to figure out like, wow, I'm being hired by someone and they want me to write my own job description. So I did a ton of research through all of the resources I could find. But the finishing touch was I printed it on really nice paper that has strong structural integrity. It's not white. It's a little bit of like a warmer color. And there's just something very inviting about the paper that makes you feel like you are dining at like a three Michelin star restaurant and you've just been given a tasting menu of all of the options that your future employee is going to buy. I was trying to put myself in the shoes of someone who is about to hire a new employee. And in that moment, I could tell from the joy in his eyes and his excitement, he was almost giggling. Wow. Wait, so you had the opportunity to hand it to him? Because I I feel like most people would email that back or something, right? Did you take that one extra step to give it to him in person or was that the assumption Yeah. So what had happened was our previous meeting, we had met in person where he had asked me, you've done this role at other firms. So write your own job description and provide me a copy of your resume the next time that we meet, because I'm going to have to meet with like the other team members. Mm -hmm. And so he had had me meet with the other team members, including the CFO, as well as the EA. Mm -hmm. And so during my meet with the CFO, the CFO had asked me, so what do you think you'll be doing in this role? Have you put any thought into it? And then I presented him with a copy of it as well, because I printed out multiple copies. And he was like, as delighted, because Ah. he had just been like, he hadn't expected that I would have been so prepared. And I think that impression was so strong that it was a really like easy decision for them. Wow. Um, I love that example. I really want to find an opportunity to use that same tactic sometime. (laughs) Sometimes it's not necessarily about finding the right paper. I mean, one of my friends was interviewing at an agency called Giant Spoon. And so when she turned in her resume, she had actually ordered a huge spoon Ah. and engraved with her name and then delivered the spoon with her resume when she applied for the job and she delivered it in person. She like left it at the front desk. It's just about like being creative, if that's your strong suit or creating some type of surprise and delight moment that like really helps your personal brand. Yeah. Got it. Like make some extreme punch kind of to start off rather than easing into your personality. I guess it depends on the type of person you are, but that worked for you. I mean, it all goes back to this idea of what is your personal monopoly? What is the thing that makes you stand out above Mm -hmm. the rest? What is something that is within your wheelhouse of your specialties that you can put forward as an extension of who you are? Thank you, Fisher Yan. 
So I love the idea of chatting a little bit right now about some of her points because they were really, really good. My favorite concept of hers is this personal monopoly. I can't stop thinking about this phrase. It's so perfectly worded and really visual. Like even while I'm walking somewhere or taking a shower after I recorded this interview, I'm constantly wondering, huh, I wonder what my personal monopoly is. I picture myself in a one-woman shop with a sign that says, I don't know what it would say, maybe left and right-brained creator of code, art, and podcasts. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'll have to work on that. But based on this interview, I can picture Fisher's one-woman shop sign boasting China-U.S. relations marketing. I don't think it's an easy task to figure out what your personal monopoly is. Maybe you're a specialist in what you do, so that way it would be really easy to pinpoint. But for generalists like me, I imagine it's something that develops over time and that you can really only pick out after paying attention to patterns in what you do and what you're drawn towards, what you work on. Honestly, I really admire Fisher for knowing herself so well. So this is just a reminder to capitalize on your monopoly once you find it. Switching gears here, I want to touch on the part where Fisher talks about working to the point of martyrdom. So I would argue that's not totally a good thing. I don't think you should have to be able to push beyond your own well-being to be successful. Nor should a company make you do that, really. So many of us out of college right now are already tearing ourselves apart, hyper-focused on working hard and making it. And it's really important not to lose sight of ourselves and our needs. That is exactly a recipe for disaster and for burnout and just a downward spiral. And I know Fisher personally, and so I know that she's an intense person. So honestly, it's a choice that she made, and it works for her. I just want to make it clear that it's up to you. A personal choice, not a blanket requirement to be successful. Anyway, I just love this interview because Fisher's idea of putting on a strong image at work is by wearing heels. It is by the way she dresses. And that makes it such a fitting First Statement Mondays episode since I had the idea of starting this podcast when I started dressing bolder myself, even if I didn't feel more confident yet. And I think Fisher's story goes to show that curating how you look on the outside can really control how others see you that first impression and affect both new and existing relationships with people. It's been many months since I first interviewed Fisher. She was actually my very first interview. So thank you, Fisher, for believing in me. And I also want to give an update on what she's been up to lately. I feel like she's just constantly doing the coolest things. So shortly after our interview, she published a post on LinkedIn drawing connections between her personal and professional life, which to me sounds like she's ready to bring more of herself to work. You know the amazing picture I posted for this episode? Well, she revealed to her professional network, I think for the first time, about her passion for silks, these circus acrobatics that she's been training with for a few years now. She just moved to LA where she has a silks rig in her room. How freaking cool is that? And she's using her investor and growth marketing knowledge to run a startup consulting business focused on minority and women-led companies in e-commerce. She's calling it Fisher Foundry. That's her personal monopoly in action right there. So Fisher is absolutely thriving. She made a bold move to a new city and focused in on her strengths in both her personal and professional life. Fisher, you are such an inspiration. All right, you lovely people. I added a link to Fisher's article that I just mentioned and also to her new website. You can find them in the show notes at statementmondays.com. And if you like this episode, please follow or subscribe to the podcast and even leave a review if you're feeling generous. And you can do that on Apple Podcasts. 
Remember, be bold. Today is Statement Monday. I'm Natalie Munster, and my two interns are Mallory Pilon and Lauren Barbalescu. You can learn more about me and Statement Mondays at statementmondays.com or follow us on Instagram at statementmondays. I'd love to hear what you think and how you have been bold lately. So please get in touch, and I'll see you all next Monday. Bye.